I'll take your Bibles, please turn to Daniel chapter 6, and I'd like to read just one verse 10 as we begin the message today, Daniel chapter 6, and we'll start by reading verse 10. We're going to continue, of course, in our series on Daniel and see God is sovereign over all the nations of history and throughout throughout human history, God rules. Amen? And we, as his people, must know that and not be alarmed or shaken ever in our faith. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Let's read it together aloud, please. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And let's pray this morning. Father, thank you now for this beautiful opportunity to be in your house and to be with your people. Thank you, Lord, for your mighty word. Thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst. We praise you, O oh God. We feel your presence. We know your presence. Because you have said that you would never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today. And look at it line upon line. That we would rejoice in you. And we would take what your word says into our own hearts. As if you spoke to us these words face to face. Because you do. Lord God, you're speaking to us face to face. Through the word of God today. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. So, the message I want to share with you today, I've entitled, Daniel's Deep Devotion to God. And we must be people of devotion to God as well. Now, I remember when I was in, in college, we had a crazy note system. So, this note system, of course, uh, Joshua and Charisse, it was, we didn't have email. We didn't have texting and that kind of thing. I couldn't even call Debbie on the phone when I was in the men's dorms to the women's dorms because if they let the guys call the girls or the girls call the guys, we would have, we would have like overruled, you know, we would have shattered the whole phone system, you know. So the only way we could communicate after like 6 o'clock at night was through a note system. And it was unbelievable. Every night the, there would be two groups of guys from the different fraternities. We call them sororities, but each fraternity would have a week assigned to it. And it was a tremendous excitement rush, man, to be able to run the notes. And what that meant was one group of guys would, would go to the five or six different girls, women's dorms, and they would put all the notes in the right little box. And they would, it was a box. It was like a long box. And it had, you know, Georgia Creel and the different, I don't remember all the women's dorms, but it had little boxes. So they would run to Georgia Creel dorm and put all the women's notes into that box. And then they would go to the next. And then they would, and they would run all those notes from the women's dorm and run them to the men's dorms. And they, as well, they had the, the different men's dorms. So when they got to the men's dorms, they would, and it was a race. They did not walk the notes. It was, this was important business because this was the note from your girlfriend or from your boyfriend. You couldn't wait to get it. And so they would run the note, and Joshua, when they came into the dorm, they would throw the notes on the floor, and they'd go, shoom, all over the place. Guess what the guys did? 
they would be like jumping onto the notes, trying to find their girlfriend's notes. This is one of my notes. And it's on a, it's a little Bible verse. And it's the verse is, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And it's dated May 14, 1980. Do you want me to read you a little part of the note? No, I'm not going to read you a part of it. No, I'm going to. I'm going to. Okay. You ready for this? Okay. Matt. I love you very much. <laughs> oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Oh. Because you are hanging on every word. Why does she love me? Because you are so handsome. No, she didn't say that. No, she didn't say that. She said, because you want to keep my focus on the Lord. Thank you. Oh, isn't that nice? And then at the end, she says, love you. Oh, she said me twice, love, love. Muchísimo. But you know, you know why we love these notes so much? Because we long for a relationship of love. And beloved, we have the greatest love letter in all the world. What if my wife wrote me a note? And I said, no, nah, I don't feel like reading it tonight. And they put those notes on the, all the other guys are scrounging around, you know, running for their notes. And I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't really care what, my, what Debbie said to me today. The next day she said, did you get my note? No. Why not? I, I didn't care. I read your note yesterday. I didn't need to read another one. No. Actually, little note, I would have read more if she wrote more. I would have, I would, I would never say, oh, you, you wrote too much. Make them shorter. I never said that to her. If anything, it was like, write me more, because I wanted to hear from her. You see, God has given us the greatest love letter in all the world. So the message today is really quite simple. I want to challenge you to have a daily devotional life to every day. Open up the Bible and read the Bible. I don't really care whether you say to me, oh, pastor, that was such a good message today. Because if you come up to me and say, oh, that was such a good message, but you don't go home and start reading your Bible every day, this message did not get through to you. So I want this message to get through to you so that you will make it a commitment. You will have a life of devotion, deep devotion, like Daniel did to God of reading his word, of praying. This is one of the most important parts, if not the most important part of our day, that you find a time and have a place where you go and you seek the Lord. This passage tells us Daniel's deep devotion to God. I ask myself this question. Why did he do what he did? When it says he knew the writing was signed, what did he do? Did he go into his house and say, well, they signed this writing, so I'm going to keep the windows closed today? Let me ask you, would God have heard him pray if he had shut the windows? God would have heard him pray, but he didn't shut the windows. He opened them. Then it says he went and he prayed toward Jerusalem and he kneeled upon his knees. Now, why did he kneel? Did he do that to impress the people watching him? Why did he, could God have heard him? 
if he stood rather than kneeled? You think God would have heard him? Yes, God would have heard him, but he kneeled. And then it says, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. He, he, he used his vocal cords. Would God have heard him if he just whispered the prayer in his heart and not vocalized it? Would God have heard the cry of his heart? Yeah, God would have heard him, but he didn't do any of that. Why? Because he had a deep devotion to God. He was committed. He wasn't going to let man take from him the most important part of his life. Jesus told Mary, you have chosen the best part, which man cannot take from you. And Daniel wasn't going to let man rob this from his heart. Daniel was real, man. This is what you call real, genuine stuff, right? To be able to pray. Face with this. You know, back in Daniel chapter 2, remember when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream? He prayed. And we call that a life and death prayer meeting. Because in that situation, he prayed in order to, to live. Because if they didn't interpret the dream, what was going to happen to him? They were all going to, Daniel and all the wise men were going to get killed. So he prayed to live. But here, he prays and he might die. By praying, getting thrown into that lion's den. Now, contrast that with American Christianity. I read this from a Barna. This is from a George Barner who does a lot of research. He said that Americans pray less than five minutes a day, and only 18% of born-again Christians read their Bible every day. Now, I believe we should read the Bible every day. I don't believe we should just... Bring our Bible to church and open it in church and carry it at home and just let it sit there all week. I don't believe that. We need to read the Bible every day. As soon as you can start to read. Amen? But you say, well, I don't have time. You don't have time not to. You say, but I can't read through my Bible in a year. Who said you have to read through your Bible in a year? There's no rule that says you have to read at your own pace. Go at your own speed. Read one verse, two verses. Read a chapter. Read half the chapter. I don't know what God wants. You pray. What does God want you to do? There's not one set way to have what we call a private time or devotions. But I believe we need to have this time committed to the Lord. Daniel shows us this. What an example he is. To us. So that's the, really the message today that you have a meaningful and intimate time where you're immersed in the Word, where you're focused in prayer, where you worship, where you give thanks and praise to God. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have some struggles doing this every day. Christians will struggle doing this, and there might be a day where you just are overcome with pressure. I didn't get to it today. Okay, don't quit. Get to it tomorrow. Don't quit. Make this your commitment. Because if Daniel could, we can. He was a busy dude. He, He was, you know, one of the political leaders of his land. He had a lot of pressure upon him. And yet he made it his conviction to do that. 
And by the way, reading reading the Bible and having devotions, it's not boring. Amen? It's not boring. Do you think it was boring when I got this letter from my wife? What if I say, oh, I can't wait to read this letter, but oh, I, no, the Bible, I'm bored with that. <laughs> how, I wonder how that would really make God's heart feel. If a Christian felt, oh, the reading the Bible is boring. Beloved, the Bible is God's word to us. So let's have a life of devotion to God. Now, some people say, wow, a sweet hour of prayer. We sing that sweet hour of prayer. When was the last time you had one? (laughs) Well, here's a way we could possibly have a sweet hour of prayer. And I put this, it's not on the email I sent out yesterday, but it is on our notes back there. If anybody would like to get one, Pastor Carmine, did everybody get one here today? If you didn't get one, it's right here. But I put this little wheel, and this is from a book about one hour that can change your life. I forget actually the name of the book, but I thought it was really interesting. He says, take five minutes on each of these things, giving praise to God, waiting on God, confessing your sins, Scripture praying. In other words, when you pray, even pray over the Scripture. And you you know what actually happens when you pray over the Scripture? God speaks to your heart. God will start talking to you, and he'll actually begin directing you what he wants you to do that day with your life, and even with your life. I believe that's how we get guidance from God, through the Word of God, by praying and watching and interceding, petitions. That means praying for other people, not just about your your needs, but supplicating for the needs of others, giving thanksgiving. Singing is a way we could spend time with God. Meditation on the Word. Even doing uh, the, the Scripture memory verses that we do here in church. Listening to God speak to you through His Word. And then finishing with praise. So that's like a... It, now, again, you say, but I don't have an hour. You don't have to have an hour. Do you have ten minutes? I mean, we, we spend ten minutes doing all kinds of things. I know we have ten minutes. So... Whatever amount of time you can take, by all means, we need to have a life of deep devotion to God. That's the message. So in this passage, we're going to really just go into verse 10. And I want us to see six different things about Daniel and his whole body devotion, his whole life of devotion to God. We see, first of all, his mind was convinced. So a person of deep devotion will have their mind convinced, convinced about God, convinced he is worthy, convinced of who he is, convinced that the Bible is the word of God. Are you convinced? Look, at I love this verse. It says, now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. So what did that mean if he went to pray? He could be cast into the den of lions. So Daniel knew that the writing was signed. But he was so devoted to God, he wasn't going to let that decree keep him back from serving God, from worshiping God. He was convinced. Here is conscientious objection. He is disobeying man's decrees in order to fulfill God's will in his life. Sometimes Christians have had to do that. Moses would not have been born if God's people did not conscientiously disobey the national health care law of Egypt, which was to kill all the male children. That's what can happen, by the way, when you just give surrender all your medical decisions to a government. They can tell you who lives 
and who dies. And they disobeyed. And Moses was born. So here is Daniel conscientiously rejecting and disobeying man's laws in order to obey God. Do you know why? Because God had poured upon Daniel, I love this verse, a spirit of prayer. And it says it of supplication. And I believe when the Holy Spirit comes in us, one of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit is he intercedes for us with groanings. He teaches us how to pray. He gives us the desire and the yearning to cry out to God. Amen? That's what the Holy Spirit does. If you don't have any cry in your heart for God, you better check to see whether you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But here in Zechariah 12.10, God says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And Daniel had that spirit where it says, in, even in verse 11, that Daniel was praying and making supplication. There's that word, supplication, before his Lord. Now, Daniel knew that the writing was signed and he still followed God. Do you know why another reason he shouldn't obey that writing? Because it was done only to get Daniel. It was done as a whim. It was done by fickle men, hateful people. It was done by those who hated Daniel. And then it was signed by the king who was oblivious to what was really happening. And do you remember back in Daniel chapter 3? They, they commanded who, they could, who the people were to bow to. And who was that? What were they to bow to in Daniel chapter 3? The three Hebrew children said, we will not bow to the great golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But now they're saying, nobody can pray to any god, but if you have any, any petition, you have to go through the king. In other words, the king will almost be like the high priest. He will be the one that you have to go through, the intercessor for all the needs of the nation. Oh, politicians love that when we rely on them for all of our needs, huh? (laughs) Politicians don't care whether we pray to God, but God certainly does. And if a government says you can't pray, I say, I will pray. I must pray. I must seek God. It's better to die praying than to live prayerlessly. The laws, my point is, is that the rules and laws of men are so changing and fickle. One day they say pray to this God, and the other day they say, no, you can't pray to any God. They don't know what they're doing, but the Bible doesn't change. <laughs> so just stick with the Bible, amen? <laughs> stick with the Bible, and, and you could be like a, a laser beam. Focus on the Lord. So his mind was convinced. Secondly, his backbone was firm. Because it says here again, When he knew the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber. And I already said this, but I want to say it again, because to me, this is very significant. Daniel could have closed his windows and prayed and God would have heard him. Daniel could have stood praying and God would have heard him. Daniel could have prayed silently and God would have heard him. But he did none of those things. He opened his windows, he got on his knees, and he thanked God. Why? To show he had the freedom and the right to worship God. 
And that must not be surrendered to man. If you surrender the freedom of worship, you will surrender a lot of other things after that. The foundation to all of our freedom is to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. And Daniel is not ashamed that others know that he is praying. He is not going to hide his faith. That is essential. We're living in a day where we're told what is an essential job, what isn't, what is an essential action, and what isn't. You know what's essential in our nation? Strip clubs. Because in California, strip clubs are open and churches are closed. You know what's essential in our nation? Casinos. Because in some states, casinos have been allowed to be open and churches have been closed. Is your job essential? The government will tell you whether it is or whether it isn't. But if that's the job that you need to provide for your family, it's essential. I believe my job is essential. I don't care who tells me it is or isn't. It doesn't really matter. Being a pastor is an essential job. And being in church is an essential need for our nation. Let me just kindly say, because Daniel was sweet. I want to keep a sweet spirit about everything. But my position, just to let you know, is as long as the doors, the front doors of this building are open at 633 3rd Avenue, that door will be open right there for church. Now, if you can't come, if you are susceptible to the coronavirus or have a respiratory problem or underlying illness, then you do what you have to do to maintain your health. And I'm not going to dictate to your conscience about that. But those of us who are healthy, we shouldn't live in fear of the virus. We might get it and we may have no symptoms from it. We might get it and die. Who knows? We're going to die. Guess what? There's a 100% death rate. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of viruses. Fear God. And we need to come to church as much as possible. We also know that the COVID-19 virus is not deadly to the great majority, 99.9% of some age groups of people. And they've got us living in fear. And they're trying to control our lives. So I don't know what's coming, but I'll just say, you know, straight up, based on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. So that's the manner of many in this world. Don't let it be your manner. Have some backbone. Let's have some backbone. And let's be people of deep devotion. And let's say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to publicly worship God. Now, you know, Daniel, by the way, another reason why I believe he opened his windows, he couldn't go to a church. He couldn't go to a synagogue. They didn't have synagogues then. He was in Babylon. He couldn't go to temple. The temple had been destroyed maybe i'll talk about that in a moment but he he couldn't publicly go anywhere to worship so what does he do he opens his windows to him that was his public worship now i believe god wants us to worship privately in our own personal devotions but god wants us to worship him publicly and that's in a sense what daniel was doing here his backbone was firm thirdly his eyes were focused Now, this is interesting. 
it says he opened his windows toward Jerusalem. Now, which way is Jerusalem from here? Do you know? <laughs> which way is Jerusalem for those of you on Zoom in your house today? Do we pray toward Jerusalem? I don't think we think. I haven't thought about which way Jerusalem is from here. Do you know why? Well, let me ask you this. Why did Daniel open his windows toward Jerusalem? Because living under the Old Testament, the Bible told him to. <laughs> did you know that? It was in the Bible. So I'll, there's actually some really interesting verses. So I'd like for us to go to Second Chronicles chapter 6 and look please at verse 20. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 20. And also understand at this time in history, Babylon has been defeated. The Medo-Persian Empire has taken over. Cyrus is the the, the main authority of this empire. Darius is the ruler over the Babylonian part of this kingdom. But Cyrus has, has decreed, maybe even by the time Daniel's praying, Cyrus has decreed early in his, in his reign that the Jewish people could leave their captivity and go and begin rebuilding the temple. So maybe when Daniel opens his windows, maybe he opens his windows toward Jerusalem, the temple had been begun to be rebuilt. And so his eyes are thinking about that, thinking about the time when the temple would be rebuilt and they could go back and start offering sacrifices to God. But when Solomon dedicated the temple back in Second Chronicles chapter 6, look please at verse 20. Second Chronicles 6 verse 20, it says that thine eyes may be open upon this house. Now this is Solomon's prayer. He's praying this to God, and he's saying, God, that your eyes would be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said, you would put, and what's the next two words? Thy, you see it? In Second Chronicles 6, verse 20, what's the next two words after that? Put thy name. That's why, that's why he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, because God's name was there. To hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayed toward this place. So Solomon's prayer was directed toward the temple because God's name was upon that temple. In a sense, praying toward the temple was praying in the name of the great God of that temple. So why don't we pray to the temple today in that direction? Because we pray in the name of Jesus. That's right. In the name of Jesus, all of our prayers are offered. Now, keep reading with me some of these verses. Look at verse 26. Skip down. Second Chronicles 6, verse 26. He says, When the heaven is shut up, and there is no rain, and because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place, there it is, pray toward this place, and confess, there it is again, what? Thy name. And turn from their sins when thou dost afflict them and hear from heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants. And he goes on. Now go skip down, please, to verse number 37 of chapter 6. And here's what he says in verse 37. He says, yet if they think themselves, if they bethink themselves in the land, whither they are carried captive. Now, where was Daniel? He had been carried captive. This applies directly to Daniel in his captivity. This is what he was supposed to do based on this Old Testament scripture. And he says, they bethink themselves 
whether they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity. That's what Daniel was doing, saying, we have sinned, we have done amiss, we have dealt wickedly, wickedly. read Daniel 9, that's exactly what Daniel does. Verse 38, if they return to thee with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their captivity, whether they have carried them captives, and pray toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house which I have built for thy name. There it is again. So he's praying with his windows toward Jerusalem because he's believing God is going to use his people to rebuild the temple according to this promise. Now look in chapter 7, please. How many even know Second Chronicles 7.14? Let me see your hand. If my people, then he could sing it for us, I know. But do you know verse 15 and 16? <laughs> no, none of us do. I don't, but, uh, so I want to read verse 15 and 16 of Second Chronicles chapter 7. Because look what it says there. So this is when God's people who are called, we are called by what? His name. Again, we see that in that famous verse that we know so well. And we seek his face. And then God will hear and forgive. Verse 15, he says, Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So in other words, when Daniel was praying to the place, his prayers were going into the temple so that God could hear them and answer them. Because he was praying in the name of the Lord. And verse 16, for now have I chosen and sanctified, set apart this house that, and here it is again, what does it say? My name may be there forever. Mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now, you might want to write down, we're not going to look at these verses in, in Kings, kind of the parallel to this, but I, I love them also, actually. I really like those. I, I really enjoyed reading these verses and preparing this message. I hope you enjoyed looking at those verses. But 1 Kings chapter 8, if you have some time later, read verses 42 through 49. 1 Kings chapter 8. It's kind of a parallel passage, but it's very beautiful. But I thought about that, and so praise God for Jesus, that he offered the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He, he finished the sacrifices. He is all the burnt offerings, all the sin offerings, all the trespass offerings, all the meal offerings, all the offerings of the Old Testament. He is the, the Lamb of the great day of atonement. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who one time and for all offered up himself. And then he said, whatsoever you desire, when you ask in my name, I will do it. So when we pray, we open up our window and we cry out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So his eyes were focused. Number four, a person of deep devotion must maintain their knees bent. Now, God could hear you pray in all different kinds of postures. Joshua, you could stand on your head and pray. Would God hear you? Sure. Charisse, if you were swimming in the water and you prayed to God, would he hear you swimming? Sure he would. He hears us praying when we're crying out in our bed as we go to sleep at night. When, when I'm standing making my coffee in the morning, he can hear me as I pray there. But here it says he got on his knees. That is reverence and respect and saying, God, I have nothing else and nothing better to do than right now 
talk to you. And sometimes we need to take that time. In Daniel chapter 3, the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, which I referred to, was established there. And everybody had to do what? Bow to the idol. <laughs> Only three men wouldn't bow because of the pressure of the world. But here, the king says, nobody's going to bow to any god. <laughs> so here, Daniel bows. Isn't that interesting? As God's people, we need to know when to stand when everyone bows. We also need to know when to bow when everybody's standing. <laughs> because that's, that's Daniel 3, how to stand when everybody bows. Daniel 6, how to bow when everybody's standing. <laughs> We need to get on our knees. It's not a magic posture, but it's a humble approach to God. And then we see a person of deep devotion will maintain their schedule consistent. Daniel's schedule was consistent. How do we see that in the text? In Daniel chapter 6, it says he opened his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees. Then what does it say? Three, not once, not twice, but three times a day. Now, I believe Daniel has us beat. I think he outdoes most of us. He does me, I confess. Three times a day he got on his knees? Wow. He was like the head ruler under Darius in the whole Babylonian kingdom. Wow. But he was consistent. Three times because he had a lot to ask for. Three times because people wanted to kill him. Three times because there was a king who was too oblivious to know what was really best for the kingdom. Three times he got upon his knees and prayed to God. Do we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? What did Jesus say? He said, blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. For he will be what? He'll be filled, satisfied. Do you know that Daniel did this? Do you know what I get from that? God, God satisfied Daniel. That had to be the best, day of his, the best part of his day. God was... He loved God so much. He, he looked forward to that time. Oh, after the morning, he went to work, but he's like, I can't wait till noon, you know. I need strength and I need guidance. So we saw God in the morning to get guidance for the day. Seek God in your youth. You need guidance for your life, young man. So seek God and don't put it off and say, well, I'll seek God when I'm older. No, do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait, young lady. Seek God now. You need his guidance you need his direction. You need his strength because the world wants to come in on you like a flood and just quench your love for God and destroy your spirit from him. Don't let the world do that to you. That's what the world was trying to do to Daniel. They're trying to get him to shut up, trying to keep him off his knees, trying to keep his windows closed. Daniel said, I'm going up, man. Three times to get guidance, to get strength in the afternoon. You know, in the afternoon, Tiredness sets in, you know. You're thinking, oh, wow, it's going to be a long day. It's till 5 o'clock. Maybe the day's dragging a little bit. 
but you need strength for those decisions in the midst of your day. And then in the night, you need forgiveness. Do you know, do you know how often we need forgiveness? Do we just need forgiveness once a, once a week? <laughs> it's in the, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Do you know why we pray that? That's a, like a daily type of a prayer, a pattern of prayer for daily life. Because every day we need forgiveness and every day we have to forgive others. John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. So we need forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ daily. And then John goes on to say, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you're listening to me and say, well, I don't need to really go to God and ask forgiveness of him every day. No, if, if you say that you have no sin, nature, that it did not come out in your attitudes, your thoughts, your actions, your words through the day, you deceive yourself. That's not true. But the good news is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we need to go to God every day for guidance and strength and forgiveness. Lastly about Daniel here, his soul was thankful. Because it says here, three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did a four time. And I like that. As he did a four time, he gave what? Thanks. But there's a decree that if you pray, you could be thrown into a lion's den. He wasn't like, God, why did you allow this? I'm not thankful for anything today, God. I'm mad at you for allowing this decree to, to come about. Don't you want me to pray to God? Pray to you, God? No. He's not mad. Right? No matter what people around you, your authorities, whether they're your parents, whether they're your teacher in school, whether they're uh, the principal, whether they're your, your, your boss, whether it's your husband, whether it's your mother, if you're a child, or whether it's political rulers, mayors, governors, presidents, whoever, they're going to do things that might seem to hinder your faith. Don't let it take and steal the hallelujah from your heart. Don't let any man or woman rule or decree take away out of your heart thanks to God. Because no matter what man does, God is worthy of our what? Of our people. Is that true? That's true. Whatever man does, he is still worthy of hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I used to tell this young man who came to our church, you know who I'm talking about, those of you who are here. He said hallelujah all the time. Things happened in his life, and I would say, brother, don't let the world take the hallelujah out of your heart. <laughs> because that's what this world wants to do. So open your Bible. Let God talk to you. Pray in response to what God has said. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray for other people. Read the word. Sing. Worship. Have an intimate relationship. A deep devotion to God. Spend time with God every day. 
That's what I'm begging you today as a church, as a Christian. We must do it. You know, I'm so thankful that my wife sent me those little notes. You guys missed that, right? At the beginning of the service, I was, I, I, I put it in my Bible somewhere and then I can't find it, but I won't. Oh, there it is. There it is. Here it is. This little note. When they threw these down on the floor, you should have seen the guys jump in the pile. It was a sight to behold, you know, all these college students. Now, I had a roommate who had a girlfriend and his girlfriend, he didn't have a girlfriend as good as I had. Let me just tell you that right now. But <laughs> no, but she would put perfume on his note and he would say, what about this record? Smell that. I say, I don't like that perfume, you know. <laughs> but we would we would be so excited. This is a little note my wife wrote me in May of 1980 when I was in college. We had this note I explained earlier. And they would throw them on the ground and we would find the envelope with our name on it. We would just gobble it up. And then we would look forward to the next night getting that note. And that's how it should be with us in our lives. Gobble up the word of God and then in the morning wait to hear from him again and gobble up his word and love him. John Bunyan, we've all heard of John Bunyan because he wrote, what did he write? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. They say that the Pilgrim's Progress is the number two bestseller of all time behind the King James Bible. In 1628 to 1988, 1688, he, he, he lived not even 60 years, like 59 years, I believe. And yet he's one of the most famous people. It's not how long you live, I guess, because we know him. Do you know that he was in prison for preaching without a license? They told him, you can't preach or you'll be thrown into jail. He says, but I will preach. I will preach tomorrow with the help of God. And they threw him into jail. But you will be thrown into prison again. He said, never mind, I'll preach when I get out. He was sentenced for three months for preaching without a license. Guess how long he was in prison because he kept preaching. Up to 12 years. <laughs> off and on, off and on. He wasn't like in prison steadily. He actually fathered children during that 12-year period of time. And let's not glamorize it. It was hard. It was hard on his wife. It was hard on his kids. Daddy was in prison. But he used that time to write some great, some of the great works of, of human history. And they told him, but if you preach when you get out, you will be hanged. You will be in prison your whole life. You know what he said? If I lie in prison till the moss grows over my eyelids, I will yet preach with God's help whenever I get a chance. That's the deep devotion we need to have in our lives. Let's stand together as we pray. <clears throat> so, Lord, let us have this devotion to you that no earthly decrees can quench or take away. But like Mary, to choose the best part, to sit at your feet, 
Thank you, Lord, for Daniel, who sets an example for all of us in praying these three times a day with boldness unashamed and even with the threat of the lion's den hanging over his head. He will not be dissuaded. Lord, I pray while we have opportunity to pray to you, to read your word, to come to church without any threat at this time, Lord, help us to do it. Help us not to take all your love and all your glory and grace for for granted, O Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.